think most of us would sure. kind of introduce yourself and your family. Our Father, we just thank you for this time together now. I pray that you would own this time, that you would be glorified in it, that you would give power, you would give life to these words. Help us, speak to us now. Teach us of the great things you have done. Increase our faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, for if if you if you need me to speak up, by the way, just just tell me. Or but uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Williams. I'm from Manchester in England, which is uh, a large. Uh, multicultural uh, city. I mean, perhaps I could tell you more about the church as I kind of go on through my testimony, which I've been asked to share now. So, um, and you know, a testimony is a very subjective thing. In John 3, speaking of the, the Holy Spirit, our Lord said, the, the wind blows where it wishes. And with some people, it blows like a hurricane. Uh, with some people it's a gentle breeze but you see the effects of people's life and I share that because you know sometimes someone has a radical experience or gets saved in a, a radical way then other people who are looking to get saved are looking to have exactly the same go exactly the same door exactly the same uh, experience and it doesn't always work like that I remember me and Zoe once we we met a, a, a sister who was in our church, but she was she came through the university and she moved to um, she eventually lost a visa. So after she graduated, so she moved away. So we met uh, one day. She was really burdened about her soul, and we met her in a coffee shop um, and just really going over the gospel promises of Scripture with her. You know, one after another there, and and we'd be going over them and. And then all of a sudden, she, she, it suddenly clicked to her that Christ had done it all, and she just she burst out, "I'm saved! I'm saved!" You know. And but then she asked me, and this is why I bring this up. You see, then she asked me, um, "Come and see my friends, because I want them to. T- I want you to tell them exactly what you told me, and then they'll get saved as well." And I, I said, well, I can come and speak to them, but it doesn't always work like that. You know, and it is, uh, you look at the, the testimonies in, in Scripture, they're all different. You know, this is why I'm not uh, a fan of a kind of one, same way every time method of evangelism, because it, it all ends in the same place, but, um, and we effectively show the same things, I suppose, but... But nevertheless, God uses different things to uh, bring dis- different people. Like I say, some people, dramatic experience. Uh, Bob Jennings, uh, who many of you have heard of, you know, he read 
a, a, a prayer on the back of a card one day. No, no flashes of lightning or anything, but he knows that's the point when his life changed and he, he followed the Lord. You know, I mean, uh, another brother, Paul Washer, uh, saved when someone told him God loves him, which is kind of ironic with the <laughs> kind of the message he preaches now. <laughs> but um, but you know there are there are norms. So so anyway, my my story. I was born in the early 70s uh, back in in, Man- in Manchester in England. Well, Oldham, which is a place uh, just. Part, part of Manchester, I suppose, or just outside. And I was what you call christened, which is infant baptized. In those days, pretty much everyone, you either got um, baptized uh, as a, a Roman Catholic or as an Anglican, which is Church of England. Now, it did, didn't mean anything. I, I never... We never went to church as a child uh, week by week. It was just something you did. And so I was infant christened into the the Anglican church there. Um, The only time I remember going to church as a a child is on one Sunday. My mum brought me because there was a good Christian school that you to try and get in. So she took me uh, to try and get a letter of recommendation that I went to the church and the vicar rightly said no because we never went there. Um, and the the other little experiences when I was little, I mean, this shows how kind of um, weak and kind of non-existent uh, uh, Christ was. I mean, I, I think of the nativity story would do that at school at Christmas, but such was my ignorance. I remember uh, being, I can't remember what age I was, but I remember being fully convinced that it was what they was telling us about what happened with Jesus and Herod happened in heaven and because um, I remember asking uh, I asked um, I can't remember if it was my dad or my granddad I say how do they know what happened in heaven like with Herod and, and, and I was told no that happened on earth years ago and, um, and then I told my brother did, did you know that happened on earth years ago and he says whoa did it you know, now either was really stupid, or, or, or we wasn't taught very well. But it kind of gives you an impression that my next brush was with Christianity was having to write. I think it was the battle hymn out uh, twenty times or so as a punishment. And it, it, it's amazing. It amazes me now. Although in school we'd call them assemblies, where you I don't know if they have them here, where you'd all meet together and you'd sing maybe a couple of hymns. And it's they don't do that now, okay? Never, okay. I don't think they do in England anymore, but they did in when I was young. But it amazes me, you know, some of the the songs like "Heart the Herald Angel Sings," and so much truth in there. uh, But when you're dead, you're just dead, and it it was just meaningless, you know. But the truth was there, if you like. But then anyway, when I got into secondary school, or what you call high school, uh, by this time I professed to be an atheist and um, just kind of floated through school. And in one sense, I was uh, a good kid. Um, I got into cycle racing when I was like 14, 15, 16. So um, that kept me out of a lot of trouble because I was training like a professional athlete while my other peers at school was you know, going out, doing all sorts of sin. 
Um, I understand now what Paul said when you know when he he says they they race for a crown that perishes a wreath that, that perishes you know all the sacrifices people make uh, in sport or whatever um, you know so how much more should we in the Christian life there uh, but anyway when I got out out of school I, I kind of made up for lost time in sin even from a worldly standard I, I would have probably been considered a, a good person um, you know because although you know when I think back now things were deeply sinful for, you know the, the things the world looks on uh, and says you know it's just, just kind of normal life um, but I got into my mid-twenties you know I mean my life was really selfish. It was all about me, myself, and I. Uh, just things shameful to speak of, really. And and I remember philosophizing an awful lot about, you know, because I started asking those questions at some point. Why are we here? What happens when this life is over? You know, like when you stir up at the ceiling at night. Well, that's what I did for a long time. And I'd be philosophizing in my head about what happens and I, I pretty soon left my atheism it, it, you know the world it, it just seemed too beautiful uh, too well designed I, I knew there was something but I didn't know what so that's the position I was then and I remember I looked at other religions first I wanted to become anything but a Christian because I, I remember picking up uh, Buddhism I went in to some kind of Buddhist center in Manchester got a book and it, it seemed the kind of cool thing it was done by Hollywood celebrities and I, I read and I think I got through the first chapter and it you know it said this is a man basically a, a man went and sat under a tree came back a hundred years later with the meaning of life and I just thought this is just hideous so uh, in the in the trash <laughs> of the book and and eventually I picked up uh, it was um, an old RSV uh, a Bible that had, I think it was my granddad's that had been uh, kind of handed down the family it had obviously never been read I think used to press flowers uh, which is was major use and I opened it in Genesis and I started reading there and it gave me a kind of peace just reading it as you know I knew that this was kind of uh truth in a way although I didn't understand it of course like I did now and so but I started in Genesis and kind of kept going with it and even though I wasn't an atheist at this time I still had a very naturalistic mindset you know I was for instance when I would read about the um, the Israelites uh, having manna coming down in the desert I, I would think oh those primitive people it was probably snow and they they snow that tasted like coriander and they didn't realize and <laughs> But but yeah, <laughs> you know. But that, that's um, that's kind of how I was. But what I'm saying is, you know, I didn't disbelieve it. I saw it as a kind of history book. I had I, I'd come to a stage. I'd, I had no reason to doubt it. And of course, when I got to like the Jewish laws in like Leviticus and around there, I just got really bogged down. And this is why, you know, in evangelism now, if we want to give someone a Bible, we just give the New Testament because naturally you start a book from the beginning um, so we we give the bit where we want them to get to but anyway um, in this time I started going to the high Anglican church where I was christened in and I never knew there was anything else I thought there was Catholic 
or there was there was Anglican Church of England and, and the, the Church of England I went to it was like Catholic without the Pope I remember one Sunday I was doing some work and so we actually went to a Catholic Church nearby where it was and you really couldn't tell the difference if you shut your eyes you know apart from there was a few pictures of Mary on the wall and things like that you know it's a lot of kind of drawn out old rituals and so but for the next about six years I, I became very religious but I, I was nothing more than a Sunday Christian I would go to church and be kind of passionate about it I'd help with the Sunday school and things like that but during the week there was just no difference between you know I'd have uh, uh, Catholics in the family or atheists in the family we all watched the same movies uh, had the same foul mouths you know got drunk the same it, it was you know it was just a religion I had on a Sunday for about six years ago but I, I, I started to kind of want more there was kind of something missing in it of course by this time I was professing to be a Christian and what was missing was Jesus that I never had but I, I never do that because as I went on as well I was starting to learn of, like lingo you know like I've got a relationship not religion and all, all loads of cliches which were dangerous because um, again I was still lost at this point and and then I started, I started to listen to teachings. We, we got a, I think it was Zoe's dad bought us a, a computer. And um, so we got the internet. And this, this um, I started looking at different sites. And um, I became like big on apologetics, things like that, answering questions, trying to prove the Bible, creation, and all things like that. And I was still completely lost though. You know, it was everything, but gee, I'd, I'd learned that, but I, I still, I don't think I read the Bible in that time. But then again, as I was searching and searching, and I, I started listening, I, I knew there was something more, and I started listening to sermons on the internet. I wasn't really getting it. I mean, the truth that you heard in the church that I was in was very little, kind of 15-minute sermons, and and but you had all this kind of, you know, when, when you've had an hour of reading from a, a card before it you're asleep by then anyway and mm-hmm. um, but whatever truth you had was was just covered up in hypocrisy because for instance you know we knew of certain things like because when me and Zoe started going there we was married with child sorry we wasn't married but we had child together we was living together out of wedlock and but you, you think about it I'm sure that's wrong but that person also teaches the Sunday school and they're a boy and girlfriend and you know and um and then, I mean, we, we questioned them about it later. And they said, well, you might have left the church. And we said, well, we might have gone to hell as well. And they kind of justified it by, or tried to, by saying you're saved now and it's all worked out. But, you know, you know that was the, the kind of, because, I mean, let's face it, it was an easy problem to solve. We can just get married. Um, but anyway, as I was listening to more and more truth uh, outside the internet, and I was trying to, and I was trying to listen to stuff, and, and and at this time I already thought I was a Christian, but again there was just something, just something not there. But and you see, I understood the gospel in a very vague way at this time. But you see, the gospel is Jesus died for sinners, but he died for the ungodly. Well, the the reason it never affected my life was because I never really thought I was a sinner. You know, I I thought I was by all means uh, a good person and so 
it, it never really affected me. And then one day, I remember I was sat in the garden listening to a sermon. I, I think I used to have the the speakers hang these little speakers hanging out of the window. I was hoping that the neighbours could hear as well. Even even though I wasn't saved myself, I was still thinking. Um, still trying to uh, bring people in if you like um, and, and just you know was talking about this the other night uh, a, lot, a lot of damage I did in this time by you know try, trying to evangelize people when I didn't even have the gospel uh, myself but, but anyway I was listening and I was going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount and then it got to Matthew 5, 27, 30 where Jesus said you have heard that it was said of old you shall not commit adultery but I say to you if you, if you look at a woman to lust for her you've already committed adultery with her in your heart and he goes on to say there you know if, if your eye offends you if your hand offends you cut it off pluck it out um, otherwise you're going to end up in hell and now, I'd heard that scripture several times before. I remember even talking about it with uh, Zoe, because um, I think she brought it up a night or two before, and just saying, well, you know, it can't mean what it says. Everybody does it. And, and you know, as I always say, it's funny how no one treats, we say that uh, with scripture, but no one treats the, 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 the Bible the way, no one treats other books the way they do a Bible. You know, no one gets the manual to a car and says, I know it says put uh, oil in there, but I, I think it means put uh, uh, paint in there instead. You know, but that, that's what people tend to do with the Bible. And uh, But that day, you see, was different. You know, the Spirit blo- blows where it wishes, and that day it wished to blow on me. And, and, and all of a sudden, I, I felt like I wanted the ground... Well, it, it wasn't... I wanted... I felt like the ground was opening up. You know, I was so convicted. It's for, for the first time in my life, I saw God was holy and he meant what, they, meant what he, he said there. And I, I remember it was just, I mean, like that song there, you know, in, just in, in, in fear and I, sh- I, I surrender all. All, all of, from that day is when I, I got up and, and followed him and, uh, and things changed. And, and it was from them that the gospel made sense and it did impact my life uh, out of gratitude and I, I remember just the next day uh, being bouncing with joy uh, and the next few days and you know don't look to the left don't look to the right and uh, you know you know being so you know something and now I didn't realize I'd, I'd been saved at the time because I already thought I was but I, I thought I'd kind of jumped to a, a new level if you like um, but I remember going back to the church I was in and then people, I'd want to talk about Jesus now and what I'd read in the Word and, and people would be looking over my shoulder or trying to avoid me um, because, you know, they'd want to, watch it. They'd want to talk about the same immoral things, you know, they, they watched on TV or whatever. And, and even that though, you know, our life, I, I remember... Um, would, me and Zoe would go to like nightclubs and things like that and uh, about it might have been a week or two years uh, two weeks later I can't remember exactly but uh, went back to the nightclub thinking nothing of it you know not even realising two and two and and I just thought you know that, that this is not me anymore and we just kind of ne- never went you know so uh, again and as the last time and you know so 
you, you saw like changes like this straight off and then um, so that was the initial conversion and th- then what happened from there is pretty soon we we got out of the church was in and we went to uh, to another church which was uh, it was called a, a Calvary Chapel which is uh, this I think the, the kind of all over they were from the US and because th- those were some of the teachings that I was li- listening to uh, be- beforehand and so we, we went there and was kind of and it was kind of a step up from the, the Anglican church because uh, you know people actually bought, brought the Bibles and was teaching from it but the problem is uh, it was very man centred and so um, we started uh, learning I was just consuming at this time I, I would listen to like five sermons a day uh, read all stuff uh, uh, you know uh, onwards and I, I was just consuming I mean uh, when I mean consuming you know my, my heart was open and be, being able to take it in too I, I can't do that now if I listen to a, you know a sermon I have to kind of t- keep it taking it but I, I was just consuming all this uh, knowledge but, but the problem is it wasn't so good that I was piling in myself and I kind of f- found problems with it later and I started teaching uh, an adult uh, Bible study there and as I've said to our brothers who were starting to teach a, a university Bible study in our church I'm, I'm always very glad my first studies were never recorded um, but and I, I taught a youth group but I started to see you know things wrong uh, with like one was the, the sinner's prayer uh, you know asking pe- ask, people asking Jesus in, into your heart and you know, and then then the it, it'd be like so and so's got the gift of evangelism. They led two people to Jesus today, and and then the next week you see him there with a can of of, of lager, you know, blind drunk again, and and they're saying, well, if they meant it sincerely, then the Holy Spirit's going to get him sooner or later. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I knew there was things wrong with that. And then I remember one day I I reviewed uh, a youth group. I was taken as gently as I'm speaking to you, you now, just saying I'm, I'm concerned there was no fruit there, and uh, in the lice. And then what what happened was is one of the 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 one of the a child I think complained to the parents, and the parents complained to the pastor, and the pastor came to me and rebuked me uh, for confronting them. He said, Kevin, he said, he says, look, you've been forgiven much, so you love much, but these are good kids. You know, so they've only needed to be forgiven a little. That's why they love little. Now, again, my theology was so weak at the time, but I'm thinking, I'm sure that's the Pharisees. I mean, he's he's speaking of there. You know, who's been forgiven a little? So, so I went to them, and uh, so I went and saw it. And then, the kind of final straw one was helping with the church plant. In, uh, I mean, some of you, if you've ever been in, it may not be the same circles, but. A kind of weak theology circle. You may have the same journey where you see something wrong, and but you you don't know quite how to put your finger on it. And, and this was this was where I was, and then was at a, was looking to maybe move to Germany to help it with a church plant. We decided not to in the end, but God certainly used it because uh, uh, I was witnessing to a girl on the street who'd never been saved for, for uh, never been to church for two years. She was obviously lost. 
But then she said to me, she said, oh, I love that church you go to. Uh, before I went there, I never realized the Bible was all about me. And it struck me, I'm thinking, I, I knew that was wrong straight away, but at the same time I didn't because I thought, that's all I've heard, you know, in the teaching for so long. And, and that uh, was no doubt what I was teaching because uh, it was kind of take the blade off every verse. And so we came home just kind of crying out to the Lord for, for answers. And of course, I, I came across, uh, I, I went on a, a website once and it said, listen to this message after the uh, nine minutes into the sermon, I think, it says the preacher stuns everyone and you can hear a pin drop. Of course, it was Paul Washer's shocking youth message. Now, that was a real breath of fresh air to, to hear that. And so, I, I listened, uh, we, uh, listened to that, and then I was, I was, there was only about 20 Paul Washer sermons online. He was relatively unknown at the time. And I remember I, I would listen to them, and, and every time, I, it was actually Matt Haney in San Antonio. Was, I didn't know him at the time, but he was uploading the new ones every time he preached. And, and so I'd wait for them and, and look at them. And I started reading books like the Puritan paperbacks and uh, people like Ravenhill I'd go through. And I spent the best part of a year trying to unlearn everything I'd previously l learned. And, and uh, for a long time, blocks in my theology was was coming up and so we we separated anyway from the the Calvary Chapel the, the main things being the sinner's prayer and they had a thing called the carnal Christian where um, it, basically there was two standard, standards of salvation a lot of people there were some believers in there but there were a lot of people being told they were saved when they weren't so I, I had to, you know that was kind of the, the dividing point Um so I, you know, I found other things since, but but we came we came out of there, and and it, I was we we drove further north to a Presbyterian church, um, which was you know there was a few things I wouldn't have agreed on, like infant baptism being the obvious one, but but it was strong gospel preaching, and it was great to be under real preaching uh, for the first time, and and the sing uh, the songs really struck me because they were kind of old and. Um, but just so so theologically deep, and so so we went. Um, we, we was going there a while, and also to try and reach people locally, we I would, I would we would teach a Bible study in the house. Uh, I think we started it on Friday, and eventually moved it to a kind of Sunday afternoon, and and we'd basically just invite people off off the street, uh, people we kind of knew, and I, I don't think. The same person never came twice, or <laughs> and until we eventually one guy came when we put an advert, and he came for a while. Um, but yeah, someone would come in once, and it, it was probably for the best with the way I was teaching at the time because I was still kind of learning myself. But we started that. But anyway, as we'd teach more than more and more, um, I'd get uh, invited. To, into uh, uh, to preach in, in, in various places and I'd be doing a kind of street evangelism as well uh, going out with people and all kind of a learning process and then um, I was asked to pastor a, a church in, in a place called Fleetwood which is on the coast of England in um, that's it's called the, the Free Church of England which is like a breakaway from the, the Church of England and so we went there and this was like a most beautiful, absolutely beautiful building 
uh, people would want to get married there and things like that and um, so basically it lasted two months um, it was all nice until in the middle of it I preached the sermon on John 3 you must be born again and that's when it changed you know people are waiting for me after I'm surprised they, they didn't stone me if they would have if they yeah I mean they was like we don't have that talk in here and so within two months there I was dismissed at the dismissal they brought up another charge of saying um, I was unloving to Catholics and what they meant is I was trying to convert them um, the way he was trying to convert them we wasn't shouting at them in the street was um, we had our neighbours round for dinner and we, we would go to theirs for dinner and you know and they, they actually cried when we left you know but it was um, I think it was more concerned that I was trying to convert them um, so, so, and so anyway, because um, they had basically a council of, it was 25 people in the church. There was maybe five or six saved. Zoe thinks I'm being generous, although I think she she was, we thought was one of them, but she actually got saved a little later. <laughs> but um, she, that that sermon actually angered Zoe. Uh, <laughs> she, she thought you can't preach that. This is the Church of England. So, as Brother Mac Tomlinson said, I joined the ranks of uh, Wesley and Whitfield for being kicked out of the Church of England for telling people you must be born again. And so, anyway, we, we came back to Manchester uh, praying about what to do. And the denomination and such had not fallen out with us. They knew there was problems with the church. And um, so, there, there was a, a, a brother there in Leeds and asking about us going there to help or a church in York but uh, again I didn't want those kind of to work in that kind of scenario again so we, we decided that wasn't the best thing and, and we was just kind of waiting uh, wait, at first when we came back Zach who had just been born had pneumonia and but, it, but he soon um, recovered and then it was either late December 2008 or January 2009 we we kind of people were saying are, are you meeting you back in Manchester and we we just kind of started meeting in our living room not really planning we're still praying about what to do not planning to start a church there and then um I'd go out evangelizing in the street and, and preach and show God. But before we knew it, we had kind of the nucleus of a church there, like 10 or 12 people. And so we knew it was the Lord's will to, to plant a church here. So we just kind of get kept going with it. I mean, that's really been my call. You know, in ministry, in ministry you know, I never heard a voice say, you know, saying go and preach. Uh, you know, but rather it was just kind of a, seeing a need you know going out sharing the gospel trying to share with people and, and opportunities kind of opened up and and so yeah we met originally in our in our living room and it kind of grew it was just a few people gathered round and for the first it was a long time uh, maybe a year or two it was very very slow because you know it would go up you may get eight people and then another one would come and but one would always leave and it, so it was the same for a long, long time. It was, and and then I suppose you know sometimes people would think, uh, oh, you know, kind of despise small things, and 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 so it was like that. And then then it kind of started growing uh, and uh, a little more, and we're still meeting in the home. And I, I remember as well just 
kind of just before this I found uh, Charles Leiter who had really helped me uh, this, this happened when when I'd listened to Paul Washer's sermons he'd, he'd uh, use illustrations that were just really helping me in my walk and and, I, and eventually I just thought I've got to go because he'd always say this this is an illustration from Charles Leiter so I thought I've got to find this guy mm-hmm. and so because I, I was thinking I know Paul Washer Ravenhill and kind of the only teachers I was listening to and I was thinking maybe this is another guy I could listen to and so I remember typing him on Google but of course I spelt it Charles L-I-G-H-T and nothing came up Um, but then the day it was the day uh, justification and regeneration I believe you're going through that Um, you know the day that came out I saw it on the Heart Cry website and I was like oh yes wonderful because I saw his name on it so I ordered it and that, I mean, it was so radical. It was like getting saved all, all over again. I mean, sometimes I, I used to ask, did I actually get saved there? You know, reading the truth. Now, I, I believe I was saved before. Um, but again, you know, hearing bad theology and stuff, it does affect how people live and, you know, the truths. And, but, but anyway, that, that was freeing and it was helpful. And then, eventually, we started this blog called The Puritan Fellowship. Um, which had Puritan quotes and I was reading from and I'd post videos and it became quite big in a, a kind of sense it would have you know it's, it wasn't like a Tim Chalice but it would have between 300 and 1000 hits per day which was a lot of uh, people and uh, I remember getting in touch with um, Charles over the book the Roman 7 article uh, asking could we put that and a few other things on the s- uh, start there and, uh, and Charles has really been like a mentor, you know. I mean, a friendship just struck up straight away, and there was so, you know, that Mona had sent me Charles's sermons. I don't know how many books, uh, helpful, and uh, emailed me like 25 times a day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's always a blessing, and but just helping and and re. Uh, so many and then I think it was the, ne- the the first I think it was the we started that and I think it was maybe the second year we started the church or uh, what's the thing or it may have been the first year we started the church I'm not quite sure but it got to June, July and, and Paul Washer and Charles were preaching in Holland so which is a stone's throw from England so they invited us over and um I got to stay with them for a few days and you know that that was really helpful and we st- we started stuff on open air preaching articles and the, the thought life track with Garrett and then and the church was ki- kind of building and the next year I think was the the first year I came to America with um, this was a the first it wasn't called the fellowship conference it was called something else in o- Oklahoma I, basically I remember landing Bob Jennings and Clint Leiter picked me up from the airport and uh, you know it was just had wonderful times and then coming through Kirksville and I mean I was absolutely terrified pre- preaching in there I mean you know it's like I was thinking you know how do you teach a, a congregation that knows more than you and you know and, and, and has you know t- two sound pastors already and <laughs> you know it was real, really intimidating I found to go in. I mean, it still is. I mean, I, I have to tell myself now when I go in. Well, 
it, because so, some, you know, cause it's almost like I'm, I'm preaching to people who are perfect that don't need any gospel. Then I have to tell, no, it's you know the parable of the sower. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. You know, within truth, and of course, you know, I realise the number of children there, and so it's really the devil's lie. Mm-hmm. But but anyway, um, went through there in San Antonio, and it's become like a a yearly trip uh, to to America. Uh, in the but the, yeah the the church kind of expect, the first year we went over to America every time we come to churches we always pick up ideas on how to do things because you know started in a church we'd never seen real church life uh, so it was like a, we'd kind of seen a kind of manufactured church and and we we was on the same page with certain things like uh, you know having a meal together because we saw that in the Bible. And so it was kind of encouraging as well finding other church that you know did the same thing in those respects, and, and we've seen it. And but it was a big learning curve at the start. Um, you know, someone would come and we'd, we'd tell them, you know, if you see us, if you think we're doing anything wrong, you then please tell us. Don't just leave the church uh, in a huff, you know, because it may be something like like we don't have a youth ministry. The reason being, we don't see it in the Bible. Uh, we believe the youth should be in the service or it may be something uh, something or nothing you know well we could do it that way or not that way or it may be something um, it has been several times where we was just doing something wrong and and, and didn't realise it so you know that was kind of helpful uh, as was building the church up uh, and so yeah I always remember one uh, Dutch brother who came over and uh, we watched uh, 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 he came and stayed at the house for a week and uh, it was Christmas time so we had the Christmas tree up and not only that me and Zach uh, Zach was little and we was watching this cartoon I don't know if you've seen Wallace and Gromit uh, there's a thing called Sean the Sheep which Mona Lighters that was one of the favourites when we went over but it's just this daft silly sheep kind of thing and and uh, I remember the brother who'd come from a very legalistic circle he came and he says you, you told us to to, ta- to to tell you anything you found wrong he says you have a Christmas tree he said that's an idol uh, and then he said and that sheep thing you watch <laughs> so I kind of let that one go <laughs> but, but, but anyway uh, he was a dear brother though he really was Um but, but anyway, you know, the, the church uh, <coughs> began to grow. What, what, that's where I was going with that. What, one thing we did pick up uh, when we first came to America was uh, Ryan Skinner uh, was doing uh, in Kirksville. He was doing a Bible study outreach to the university. And, and so and we saw, you know, a girl, Danielle Winton, had just been saved. And, you know, several of the students in the church. And we thought, we've got to get into Manchester University. Uh, but we need some students. We didn't have any because we wanted a Bible study there but then we realised in order to do it we needed some students so then we prayed uh, that the Lord would send us some students and eventually uh, he sent us a, an out brother called he was lost when he first came but uh, uh, Fred and and then he kind of bring other people from his university because he was in a he was kind of going through the situation that I was in uh, although I had been saved he still hadn't been saved at the point but he, what I mean, he was in um, a bad church, uh, kind of a lot worse than the one I was in. Um, and he was seeing things wrong with it, though. 
and, and then, but he, so he was kind of bringing other people who was also seeing things wrong, and uh, and then so we started a Bible study in the university, and that outreach there, and and kind of the church began to grow uh, because Manchester, it's, uh, I mean, it's a very multicultural city. We, I mean, we have 15 to 20 nationalities in the church now. I mean, we're trying to work them out, all the different nationalities who've been. Of course, we have English, but, uh, you know, there's Dutch, uh, for people from Holland, Norway, uh, Romania, uh, Poland, uh, Spain. Um, no, it was looking to, to, to go and teach at a Bible study there, but no one from there. But then we've got places like uh, Chile, Mexico, um, we've had Venezuela before, Brazil before, uh, America, um, Ghana, um, you know, several different parts of Africa. We've had people from Australia. We have a sister from the Philippines. You know, it is. And, and that really reflects the city because that's what Manchester is like. It's just a hotbed of, you know, all different nationalities, all different religions. You, you, you hear about a new cult and you, you find they're not there yet. Uh, sorry, and you find the other. You hear you, you've never heard about at it, and you, you find all of a sudden you find the God of Presence. Um, you know, there's Muslims there, and a lot of Chinese people, Jew. You know, it's just a kind of cesspool of all different religions, and but it's glorious because you know when you know you get to Revelation, and you see all these different tribes and tongues and, and cultures around the throne of God, and and it's certainly added to the church as well and you know the way we the way we worship you know people are coming you know there are some people who like to kind of dress smart there are people who just kind of come in you know not, not so smart and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of a nicer way uh, but you know there, there are people in worship you know you might have someone sat there in worship that's just kind of you know, and that, that's kind of, that, that's big emotions for them. <laughs> uh, and then you may have um, a Nigerian brother next to him dancing. As a <laughs> you know, that's the kind. And then another, they'll be doing, some will be doing all sorts of rhythm clapping for some of the songs. You know, and it's tough, but it all works together. That's the thing. You know, the, the only kind of difference we had when we moved into the building uh, a while ago, I mean, I'll, I'll go back on that, but when we moved in, uh, when I say difference, the kind of squabble on, with the different cultures, there was, uh, you'd have basically all the kind of white uh, Europeans wanting, uh, it was too hot for them. So they want the heaters off, and then you'd have all the, the African people wanting the heaters on. And, and so when we turned the heaters off, uh, there was people like, they'd, they'd put the big coats on a big woolly hat and go, <laughs> you know, show their disgust. And, but kind of that. We, I think, I don't know what happened. We've just kind of learned to live now <laughs> together. But you had, the, you know, those kind of nothing issues. But, I mean, moving into the building, we first, it was really difficult to get, uh, find a building. We went, we was meeting in the house. And I remember we had 40, 40 chairs packed in our living room. And we was getting rid of furniture to get more chairs in. We had, basically, it was a kind of a long room. Very small compared to a U.S. houses, but... Um, I mean, it was packed site like sardines, 
Uh, and then I'd preach in kind of the corner with the door open. You'd have people outside, people up the stairs. You'd have mums with babies uh, with intercoms up the stairs. And it wasn't so bad when you was preaching the sermon because everyone was sat there, but the fellowship kind of it was kind of difficult. <laughs> yeah. It was single file and and taking the Lord's Supper, which we did each week, took forever because it was like one person would have to go like that to the front, get the Lord's Supper, go back, and uh, it, it would literally take 20 minutes or so for everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, we noticed when we when we moved into the building, everyone just got up and went. <laughs> but uh, yeah, eventually, um, we was getting to the point where we couldn't. We asked one, uh, we went to the city and we asked, we saw this great building and we asked them and they said we wanted a thousand pound, which is about 16 to 1800 dollars a week. So we're like, yeah, that's kind of out of our budget. And so, but eventually, um, there was this community centre, which is just around the corner from where we live. And uh, but there was always another church that uh, preaches in there. And we didn't want to. We we kind of come past, and it was heavy, charismatic. You had the picture. You could hear him with the big speaker, and you had the picture of people rolling around the floor. We did, didn't want to be associated with them because uh, we we thought about they was like ten or twelve, and we thought we had the option of moving in after them. But we thought, well, uh, uh, it doesn't sound too good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyway, it got to the point where we just thought we're going to have to. And but anyway, I, I remember I was I went out for a walk to to pray right before our service started, and I looked in, and there was they had all the chairs set out, like about sixty chairs, but um, there was nobody there. It was just basically the pastor and his family, and they'd been like that for three years. It was just basically playing church, and which is something that is quite common. So I just thought, wow, we'll, we'll just go in and we'll book it for the one o'clock. Uh, uh, as soon as they yeah, they finish at twelve, they're out, and because we, we can't get like mingled with them because nobody kind of knows them anyway. But the way the week we moved in, uh, they they moved out without us even. They just stopped coming, uh, even without. They didn't even know we was coming there, um, so that was really, really good. So we've kind of met in the building ever since. The Lord's grown us from there. Um, it's kind of getting to. We we kind of changed the building around, but it's kind of getting to the point where you can't fit many more people in. Um, one way. If you you could pray is I mean that continue that the Lord uh, would save souls but regarding a building is because I used to I remember when I, I when we went on from the US last year I thought it, we can fit double the people we had then in the building uh, we could get them in but I remember and I remember thinking if if the people double then the giving is going to double and so we'll be able to afford our own building by then, which we can use during the week, for, like you use things for today for and, and stuff like that. But the the size has increased, but we, we, we're getting kind of fringe, fringe members at the moment who are not the same committed to the church, so uh, the giving hasn't increased uh, proportionately. Um, but what I, the prayer is really for fringe members to, to be committed and not just, you know, not just see it as a church to... To attend. You know, so there are some people who can only attend on Sunday, but that's different, and they are still committed. Um, but to, but to co- commit and, and grow, you know, in, in the church properly, and um, because the Lord, uh, Lord willing, if the if the Lord keeps 
saving we you know we we may need a, another building there we can fit some more in at the moment but um but it, yeah it's just the brethren i just see him as a privilege to, to be around um on the the university bible study now i have different brothers uh teaching it as a kind of an opportunity um to test gifts and um exercise gifts although you know I sent a message today saying although it does do that you know we should never see it as a um, you know a means to a step to something greater or, or we should never see a bible study as just let, let, oh, this is small so I'll just let, test and exercise my gifts there you know the, the real reason should be to glorify God and, and to serve the people there and that's the only way we are, we are going to exercise gifts anyway um so yeah, that's my, my initial testimony and a bit about the church and, and where we got to. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, just to quickly as well, something else maybe you can pray about is there's uh, all over Europe um, there's little groups of Christians kind of popping up. Um, you know, little Bible studies without pastors. Um, and we're looking at the possibility of, of going over, visiting them, and 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 helping them, and uh, teaching. You know, with with translation, and hopefully the Lord would eventually re- raise people up from the. Uh, you know, there's very, like uh, Cyprus uh, was just mentioned, um, uh, Switzerland, uh, Denmark, and uh, just to to help, really help and encourage and. Yeah. So. Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, I have three questions in one. <laughs> okay. Do, do most of your converts come through evangelism? How often do you focus on evangelism and any advice you'd give towards open air preaching? Okay. Our church is very aggressive in evangelism. Um, when I say aggressive we don't grab people by the throat but I mean you know what I mean yeah Um, we go out um, Thursday what we do we try and make it as practical as possible Um, so we we, our evangelism days typically are Thursday Friday evening which is 4.30 well 6.15 and what you find is maybe maybe I'll be there and a couple of others at 4.30 but then a brother may finish uh, uni at 4.30 and, tr- and maybe it takes them half an hour to get there. Another brother may finish work at 5. He's there at 5.15 for the last hour. Someone else may only be able to make it for the last half an hour of it. And, you know, and I always encourage them that, um, you know, they won't be on the deathbed at Judgment Day regretting those half an hour uh, that they spent each week. You know, but maybe we'll, we, we can think well if I go back I'd have done more of those and you know that those little times and so yeah we, we basically go to the busiest place in, in, in the city and, and it's kind of a lot different than the, the USA I mean you Manchester again Manchester all the people go to the center and it's a, just a mass of people who, who will come through and on Thursday and Friday we preach opposite a tram stop as you know what a tram is yeah it yeah, it's uh, it's like a train, but it comes through. Don Curran called it a street trolley, which sound uh, funny to us, but 
uh, a trolley we call a shopping cart. Oh yeah, well, yeah so, so we pictured this giant. <laughs> yeah, I've heard streetcar maybe. I know what a trolley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, basically, it comes straight through the street. So you get the tram stop. You get a ready-made audience there, whom you can preach to. This is Thursday and Friday we go there, and they, they, they're coming at home from work this time, or coming home from shopping, and you can do either side, um, and you can get between 20 and 300 people crammed on there at once, and you get, what's best now, they've had this electronic thing, so you can tell when the next tram's coming, and so you can time your message of it, it may say 3 minutes, it may say 10 minutes, occasionally it comes up announcement there are delays, and you're thinking, yes. <laughs> and, and it's like you know, 15 minutes and you can preach I mean 10 minutes you can preach a good gospel message and so the others would hand out tracts uh, gospel tracts uh, we're very big kind of like this church on gospel tracts I mean we we print them out in the, the 20 to 25,000 now which will last 3 or 4 months and um, I encourage brethren uh, in, in our country at least you're allowed to st- I don't know if you are here but you're allowed we, you have a kind of uh, a letterbox where you can post them in people's doors um, yeah so I encourage uh, to post them at Christmas time you know uh, we put gospel tracts in cards which we give to all our street everyone who lives on the road neighbours and things like that um, we even did a special uh, Christmas card but with the church um, one last not last year the one before because we figured it's you know it'll look really nice we got Rebecca Gates to, to do a great picture it had a building that kind of looked like our building but just a bit prettier and it had the sign on uh, saying Grace Fellowship uh, meets 1pm and had the address and, and the website and we just figured that people are going to put that up in the house traditionally for a month um, we put a tract in it and you know at, at work um, you know people, uh, people give, give Christmas cards too as well with, with tracks in and uh, as I said at the fellowship conference there was one uh, sister Michelle who was she was very nervous she'd track the whole uh, ho- she works at the hospital but she'd given her all the department and she'll, she was she was fearful and then the next day she got called in the office and she, she was even more fearful and then she got awarded an employee of the month award <laughs> uh, not for giving the tracks it was because she was being exemplary at work but um, so, so that, that was a good testimony though and the Lord's faithfulness there but, but yeah and as well you see we'll be giving out tracks and we'll be uh, speaking to people striking up conversations uh, uh, of course you get your people who just want to argue for the sake of arguing uh, and they'll be there they, they're not listening to a word you're saying and I tend to pass them off to kind of the, the other brothers now and, if, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll, I'll pray for someone the Lord's working on and, and then they kind of do the same well when, when I say pass them off it's kind of you know I've, I've said to the other brothers but they you know there's a temptation to think well I can get this person and you know and that's fine but but anyway we'd we'd get yeah we'd give out a lot of tracks speak to people and, and then on Saturday uh, that, that was it, it's very very busy in the main place and the evangelism then's one o'clock 
and this is open air preaching in the middle uh, where you kind of have to build your own crowd where you just preach and normally by arguing and a heckler will come past and say something and there's a bit of banter there back and forth and, and a crowd stops to watch and before you know it there's a crowd to preach the gospel to um, th- that happens on Saturday and the the difference you know the, the amount of um, people who I, I can't remember you know it must have been over two years now since someone's not come to the church on either the Friday Bible study or the Sunday meeting from, from the weekend's evangelism and and sometimes they'll come uh, the, sometimes you know people will just get nothing more than a tract they never even spoke to any of us uh, or they may have quickly flew by or they may have said yeah watch the open air preaching for a bit and come back sometimes they may have um, one of us has spoke to them and one thing we are big on is, is getting people to come to the church you know not uh, it, it became a cliche in evangelism uh, we're not trying to get you to join a church well, we, we certainly are. I mean, first of all, we want them in the church of God, but, you know, we're called to make disciples uh, and teach them in all things. And, of course, this is a, a collective thing with the church. You know, it's not just, um, you know, it's it's not kind of just drive-by uh, evangelism, although I don't, you know, if, if I'm in America, or I get the, you know, or if I'm in a place where, I mean, most of the places here I can recommend people to a church, but but if I'm in a place where I, I don't know or whatever, I'll you know I'll, I'll still want to talk to them if the opportunity opens and, and leave tracks and things. And uh, but but what what I'm saying is we do try and get people to the church. The brothers and sisters they'll normally and normally it's a brother taking a uh, if it's a guy's phone number, uh, a brother will take it and a, a sister will take the girl's phone number. Uh, not the other way round. Um, you know, I sometimes say, if if you see uh, a guy and a girl in in conversation, uh, you know, if if it's one of our sisters, then a brother go over and kind of join the conversation, so they're not kind of so they're not just being chatted up basically. Because sometimes we have that where someone's just coming to the church to try and chase a girl or whatever, and you know, I always say to the sisters, you know, never prostitute yourself and in the sense of trying to uh, trying to win pe- people to Christ I don't mean that actually go out and date someone but you know give, never even give someone the impression or you know so but but anyway um, the, the, we have uh, a lot of people would come by public transport by buses so you know they, they would say that there's the bus stop or, or you know arrange to meet them to it and things like that and bring bring them in and so, yeah, yeah, bring them to the to the church. I I only go out evangelizing now on Thursday evenings because as the church has grown and uh, when teaching a couple of times of the week, and I find my my time is better in study uh, and preparation. Because um, the other thing as well, I always feel really drained afterwards. Like on Saturday, um, which is kind of once the afternoon's gone, it's kind of big. Uh, day pre- preparing for the sermon in theory I could go to evangelism before it but I, by the time I've come back and I've preached and had conversations I come back and I'm kind of mentally drained somewhat so so it doesn't doesn't kind of work but but yeah so. the last one was open air preaching mm. how did you start how did you start, about, start going about it 
I, I originally saw it. I came across uh, Ray Comfort and uh, it, uh, online, and I would um, just kind of just kind of looked at it and, and thought, yeah, that that seems a, a good way of kind of reaching uh, people. Or, although, and I'd see the, the the stuff with a heckler to get a crowd and things like that. Although, you know, I would. I would, there were certain things that I, I kind of wouldn't agree with now. Even, even you know, I wouldn't go in evangelism, say, have you told a lie, have you sold, and things like that. I'm not saying it's necessarily, uh, not, it's not necessarily a bad thing per se, but um, I think it can become a, a bit mechanical. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, there's a, a different, in scripture, I, you know, it's, I don't see that, it's every person, it's almost a different thing, and a different way. I don't see it so much in in scripture, but yeah. So I started that. The other thing I was going to say is different. Is kind of the kind of gimmick approach sometimes with um, you know build a crowd with a with answer a question, win a dollar or whatever, or or track gimmicks and things like that. I think it's better to be straight up with people. You know, if um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And and he, of course, who can answer this question to win the cuddly bear? He was asking questions, and of course, the crowd built up. And then, then he suddenly started turning on them, talking about how they're going to hell. And it was something. It looked like some kind of video nasty, you know, to from go to a, a cuddly bear kids' side. And you know, it's that. I mean, if you if you went to. Uh, like if a doctor was telling someone they had cancer. You know, I think it would wouldn't be a, a sensitive approach to tell them. You know, if they was laughing and joking about it first, and you know, it's a, a serious thing. So, uh, but it, but again, you know, God has greatly blessed that ministry and encouraged a, a lot of people. So, but but yeah, we started that, and then the church I mentioned we went up to in Blackburn. They go out and open a preach. Them it was just something the men did. Um, they they go out and they just preach. Um, it was kind of different. It was just kind of have a ten minute message and preach, and not really anyone was listening. Um, I kind of picked that more up from Ray Comfort on things like engaging the heckler, which was a bit daunting at first because if you preach in the street, someone will shout something sooner or later. Um, so it was having a banter back and forth, and of course, uh, eventually I learned as well. You know. Not to just use the heckler because he's a soul at the same time, and you, and and I quickly learned as well. There was times when, yeah, this is going to build up a crowd, but there's times when this guy is being honest and genuine. So I'm just going to get off the ladder and talk to him one on one. Um, you know, which you use the ladder. Yeah, a step ladder. Just basically to be a little higher means the voice, my voice, could carry a bit further. Um, only two steps high because occasionally people will knock, knock you off it um, so it's not too far to fall um, and the other thing with the step ladder as well it gives you this kind of false height uh, because again if you're shouting in the street and someone comes up and the face is there well at least if they come up close they're down here 
and it does give a kind of it's kind of like when you know a cat when the the hearse the hearse stand on in edge and make it look a bit bigger it does give a psychological effect because um, it's this guy who's shouting loud in the street it looks like nine foot tall so um, you know but but that said I, you know if I've been punched before I've lost teeth before uh, one time a drunken woman came under me and she caught me right under the chin and uh, so I, I thought well this is an opportunity to show God's love so I said I, I forgive you I love you and of course she came and whacked me right again <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean some of the things that go on I mean uh, one time there was, I didn't even know this had happened but someone had put loads of paper on the, back, on the step below me and set fire to it and uh, people were putting it out and behind me and you know yeah and it got to the stage where you know what's persecuted because when people would, all of a sudden you see when people would see me responding loving and forgiving you'd, then you'd have everyone in the street thinking hang on a minute uh, you know like you'd have 16 17 year old cowards suddenly thinking oh I can kick this guy and he's not going to respond mm. and you know and he'd do that and, and, and see then I had to decide you know is this persecution for righteousness sake um you know, I wouldn't go and beat them up and stuff, but, uh, you know, there'd be kind of security and things like that at print in the street who would um, kind of st- stop people, you know, would signal them and things like that. Um, I mean, uh, there was uh, another time at the tram stop, uh, once a homosexual came and, and punched me in the face. And um, But two, two Mus- because I never responded, two Muslims, young Muslims came. Uh, about 17 and, and they came to me and uh, and they'd seen I'd not responded and so they came kind of all acting you know real hard and and they said oh you can't hit back can you a Christian and uh, and, and uh, so I said what's your point he said uh, he said he, he said uh, we don't want you preaching here again I don't want to see you preaching and I said why and he said well um he said because you know and he was trying to, basically trying to threaten and that's, that's when he said sorry you can't, you can't hit back can you uh, because you're a Christian so he said if, if, we, if we start attacking you you wouldn't be able to do anything so we don't want you to preach so I, that scripture came to me be wise as a serpent harmless as a dove and I says well I says as a Christian yeah I shouldn't respond but I said you know Christians are not perfect I said, I may backslide for five minutes and put you both in hospital, but uh, but then uh, then I'll ask for forgiveness afterwards, you know. And uh, of course, I wouldn't have done that, but I was just, uh, you know, it was just uh, trying trying to be wise there, because <laughs> yeah, again, a bit more. Bring a sword. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, another time I was preaching opposite the tram stop, and a, a, a guy came very threatening below me, and he just stood there trying to stir me out. So I just bent down to him and said, "You're on CCTV." <laughs> and it is pride. He stayed there for like another twenty seconds, and then walked away, and that was the end of it. But um, you know, the, the Muslims sometimes they can get kind of aggressive and worked up but you know as I always say though I, whenever they do I always I always remind them that they've just been telling me that Islam is a, a religion of love 
and uh, and they kind of go, oh, sorry. Basically, I mean, if if it's answering questions, it would be. Um, I would try and spin everything back to a gospel truth that I want to get to them. So, so bring everything back. Uh, you know, bring it all back there. See all, yeah. Do we have prayer meeting Friday night? I'm going to go with the girls. We're at 7.30 at the gym. Is there any... 7.30 at our house. Oh, awesome. Do you have any like YouTube videos you could watch of you uh, preaching or no? Yeah, there's some up there. Um, yeah, I just go watch some of those. Yeah, I mean, there's the. You have one on teaching. Yeah, there's one basically on t- oh, about 20 questions or so on evangelism on on open up preaching. Uh, that we did to kind of give a guide because there was a lot of people wanting to get into open up preaching, but there was getting coming across bad examples on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen the shock and awe guys in the college who just hell abuse of people. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they get big crowds, but um, they don't preach the gospel and normally think they're sinlessly perfect and things like that. Um, but yeah, we did that. And there's other clips on there. Um, but. Yeah, we, we didn't put that many up ourselves because we decided, um, you know, there's a lot of people just posting videos on YouTube, uh, just trying to promote themselves. And, you know, they're, they're preaching in the street, but they're not actually preaching in the street, they're preaching on YouTube because uh, people are just walking by and, you know, they're giving a sermon where, you know, because that's the other thing, you know, I, you know, you, if you've got a crowd, you can preach a, a 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute sermon, but uh, you see guys in the open air preaching sermons, but, you know, people are just walking past or may stop for one minute. And so, you know, you, you, you can't, it's, it's pointless doing that. So whatever I try to preach is basically, um, I, I try to give in snippets where one minute or two minute where they could take something away. <coughs> you know, if, if they just heard that bit, maybe it would make them think. And at the tram stop, it's a different kettle of fish altogether because there you've got the crowd and you may get 10 minutes. And so basically I would just explain the gospel in, in simple terms, probably start from our sin, uh, our position before God, uh, show them through, through scripture, through examples that we can't justify ourselves and then explain what Christ has done uh, and what they, they have to do. Just like, uh, just like uh, if I was witnessing to someone one-on-one, you know, that's an important thing um, in the open air, never to preach over people, you know, to actually communicate with the people uh, we're speaking to there. Mm. But we have other brothers who do it now in the church, um, Sonny and a few others who uh, have been learning and doing, you know, doing, doing well. So they'll typically do it on... Uh, on Saturdays and sometimes while I'm there on, on Thursdays and, and Fridays and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Ye
Well, we, you know, we have our own testimony, which we, we can always tell, uh, you know, what the Lord's done in our life. Um, so we have at least, <coughs> at least that. Uh, I remember when I, when I started, I, I mean, I w- the words were just kind of, I had a pre, I thought now, I, I, I don't prepare what I'm going to, in the open air beforehand at all, but when I started, I did, uh, and I, I would advise that to think about it before because it can be so nerve-wracking the first time someone gets up a, a good bit of advice I got from Ray Comfort was uh, I never actually got to do it but if you just get tongue-tied and stuff just say I've got a verse for you to think about and read John 3.16 and get down and, <laughs> and uh, you know give them a verse there and I, yeah, that was good but but yeah you know and sometimes people, you know, if you see a few people and tell that, you know, this, this, this is what has been done in my life, people will maybe stop to listen. Um, you know, and what one thing, I mean, I cover this in, in the video, you know, dealing with uh, the different questions as well, you know, people may throw out. Um, you know, there, is, there are questions that deserve to be answered. There are some which just distracting and things like that. And, yeah. But, yeah, the problem when, when I started, when I got saved, uh, really, though, was evangelizing a lot of people, but I would be giving them the wrong books and thinking, you know, I'd be, I'd be, be trying to convince them of a... Uh, even before I got saved, I'd be trying to convince people of a, a six-day creation and and things like that and I say to the brothers now you know if someone gives a question about things like that don't even go there you know just say you know some Christians believe in a, a literal six day creation some believe the world was created in millions of years it's not going to matter as far as your soul is, going to con- is concerned there you know so let, you know let's talk a, about that you know even even evolution I don't even bother about now because again, you know, people get they get saved, believing it, not realizing any problem, and then of course they kind of realize it later. And um, but the point is, it doesn't, you know, again, it can just be a distraction from talking about their sin and what Christ has done. And uh, so I, I'll just tell people, you know, this this is not going to affect your position. Uh, before God you know even evolution the reality is there'll be some people in heaven who who believed it never even never even came to a point where for whatever reason they 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 saw it was wrong Uh, so yeah I try to focus on the on the the crucial things and the other things as well you know witnessing to a a Catholic for instance they always say never never talk about the the Catholic Church or the Catholic Church believes this because most Catholics don't know what they believe or they don't know what the Church believes but as soon as you start talking about that even if they they only go to church twice a year you get the backs up 
and they're, they're ready, you know, they're ready to argue and, uh, you know, fight till death over it. Where, you know, your, your testimony can be more powerful. Um, yeah, the same with, you know, even Mormons, things like that. We have a converted Mormon in the church. I remember she was very self-righteous when she came, but the best thing is to see people's lives and the truth. Because again, you you know, uh, just arguing about false prophecies and things like that doesn't tend to uh, convert, let's say, Mormons into Christians. It just tends to turn them to atheists. Mm. You know, we want to win this Christ. So. You know, but believe. Uh, you know, we're, we're sowing the word, and the word is good. The the seed, and you know, again, sh- share the gospel with people. Never, never let it become a personal argument, where it's a personal, it, where it becomes me against them. You know, uh, you know, I'm just the messenger. <laughs> you know, with, with a great message. You know, yeah. You know, declare, yeah, declaring like Charles's message at the conference. You know, the gospel is a a foolish thing to the natural man. Mm -hmm. Uh, You ever use amplification? Sorry. You ever use amplification? Not normally, but some of the other brothers do. Um, So, yeah, my voice travels a bit further. So, um, I prefer without it. But but I can. I don't have to be on the top level of speech. You know, I think just screaming totally in the street doesn't always sound, sound totally good. Uh, but I can drop drop a little and uh, but still carry. Um, but not everyone can do that, so they'll use. There's no there's no laws against it. Um, sometimes people will come and tell you, you know, like a city official, and say you've got to take that thing down and. Um, but they're trying to get away with things they're not they're not supposed to <laughs> and they say well, what about that guy just like 200 yards away who's singing karaoke in the in the street you know twice as loud um, yeah and you know it being, even when whether it's police or other people um you know, some can sometimes act like that. I think it's best to be as gentle as possible with them and uh, stand your ground if needed. But um, but again, you know, we we still want to win those people too. We want to be blameless before them. Where the hell did many of those in there preaching uh, in front of bars late at night? Yeah. Do you ever do that? No, we've never never done that. It's kind of radical. The idea. Um, I know one brother not from our church he preached for us while while I was away but he actually went to a shopping mall a busy kind of marketplace and he he put his ladder on right at the point where the you know the opening doors where they open and of course they stayed open because he was stood there and then he had a speaker and preached straight in (laughs) now that was I don't know whether that was just annoying or (laughs) but yeah, bars, I mean, 
I know Ravenhills, that would sober people up and give them coffee and take them to church in the morning and things like that. But, um, yeah, I've always... I never really witnessed to someone drunk. Uh, well, I have done, but I'm always kind of afraid, I suppose. Uh, are they going to remember anything in the morning or... Um, well, the bars closed at 10, according to his biography. Yeah. Here in Ellen, so he would go out at 10 when they were closing. Mm. Yeah, in his day, it was more of a working man's thing as well. Probably. Um, yeah, so it was kind of uh, yeah, it kind of a different culture. Yeah. Yeah, Ravenel's certainly been an inspiration when like, did some help for Mac researching the book on the English side and you know, going interviewing people and 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 listening how that they'd they'd walk through this the streets like this kinda of like the Salvation Army did marching and um they'd get together, a couple of people would get up, give testimonies and uh maybe a couple of people would get healed and and then uh Leonard did get up and give a message in season there and they you know, they'd build churches out of that. Um it was really ins- inspiring to to see and yeah. it's good to, good to be here and it's always good to see you know the as we see new new people in the church and uh yeah Thank <laughs> you.